This is Airing Pain, a programme brought to you by Pain Concern, the UK charity providing information and support for those of us living with pain and for healthcare professionals. I'm Paul Evans, and this edition's been funded by the Stafford Trust. I've heard professional sports people talk about being in the zone. You're mind is being distracted in such a way that you're not really aware of what's going on in your own body. You're so focused on what you're doing that you're unaware of the fact that your legs are burning or you're physically exhausted. There are people that I've worked with within the club that I believe if they were outside of a sporting environment would have chronic pain. Just because somebody is able to do an activity or sport that keeps them physically fit. It doesn't mean that they're not ill or they don't live with pain. Resilience is the ability to stay on track of something that's very important to you in spite of adversity that gets in the way. Within a chronic pain context, obviously pain is the adversity and it can create barriers to all sorts of social and mental functioning. Now, I know from personal experience that first to go when chronic pain strikes are often the things that we enjoy doing the most and, let's face it, which make life worth living. The hobbies, socialising, exercise, sport. And sport, in particular sport at the highest level, is what I want to focus on in this edition of Airing Pain. Dr Greg Clark is a clinical psychologist working in pain but he also has a role working within a professional football club. Now, to me, that's an interesting mix of two extremes. I speak for myself, of course. But there are the physically unfit at one end and the super fit at the other. Another difference that occurs to me is that top sportsmen and women suffer multiple injuries through their careers, but the level and speed of treatment is exceptional. So, are there lessons to be learned from the way injuries to elite athletes are managed that could be applied to the general population? It's a very different environment. Certainly from an injury perspective, it's it's unbelievable the level of input that they do get. But obviously they are seen as a financial asset to the organisation. So again, you know, the investment is obviously... Um, done for that purpose as much as anything I, I'm not so sure in sport this might be controversial but I'm not so sure it's about the person's well-being as opposed to their value of being back on the pitch Absolutely. and again I think in the social support that a lot of these guys get as well is is very good you know a lot of support and I think that that's where when you look at chronic pain you know you look at the social aspects to that I think that's where there's not always a great support for people at times. Are we really talking about acute pain in sport as opposed to chronic pain? In general, we are. We are talk, you know, we're talking about acute injuries that there is a process that goes through that allows the healing. I would say there's a slight however in that though, in the sense that there are then people that I've worked with within the club that I believe if they were outside of a sporting environment would have chronic pain. So again, it's similar interactions that go on between the professional and the player or the professional and the client, the patient, when actually, you know, I'll get physios coming up to me and the medics coming up to me saying, look, there's nothing wrong with this guy. You know, we've done the scans. There's, there's no problem. I'm then probably working with somebody more on a chronic pain 
level. And again, when you then tap into some of those cognitive, you know, behavioral processes, you kind of recognize that, that, that there's probably something going on, certainly levels of engagement in the rehabilitation process. But you also learn there are secondary gains as well within sport to being injured. You know, a lot of these guys are fearful of being released. Well, if I don't play, you can't judge me. And if I then get released, it's because of my injury rather than my ability. As an example, within a social context for chronic pain, if the reason for me not being able to engage in work is, is pain, what happens then if, if we're saying, well, actually, we'll take the pain away and then you can engage in work. But certainly within sport, I think there are secondary gains to injury. We do know from a social perspective, there can also be secondary gains, you know, in terms of physical health conditions as well. So you coming from the world of pain management, mm. chronic pain management, going into that world of sport, one of your roles would be to stop an injury mm. developing into chronic mm. pain. Mm. Absolutely. And for me, I think that that's maybe where we, we miss a, a trick within the medical profession. All chronic pain was originally an acute pain. And I struggle with this differentiation between the two because I think chronic pain is maybe a representation of a different reaction to an acute pain. For me as a psychologist, I believe we should be doing more in the acute world. I'll give a bit of a kind of personal experience. I've had lots of operations from my sporting days. And about three years ago, I had a, a, an operation, um, quite severe one on my knee. And I remember sitting in the recovery afterwards in pain, quite significant levels of pain, particularly as I then thought I'd be a really good psychologist and avoid using any of the uh, opioids and be mindful about my pain, which was achievable. But I always remember from the experience seeing two older gentlemen opposite me who had had hip replacements and were clearly in pain. And when they requested support, the first port of call was medication, you know, to, to help relieve that pain. And I always remember thinking, maybe that could have been an opportunity, even pre-op, to provide people with those skills or techniques, is probably a better word, of being able to just manage that pain in a slightly different way. And I guess for me, that's where I always had this thought, are we, are we helping those people at an acute level? Because maybe we could be making a difference. And I think in the rehabilitation side of things, you can get two different people with the same operation and actually somebody that I worked with, their level of catastrophizing around the pain and about how their leg felt sent them down a, a more chronic path because they didn't engage in the, the rehabilitation because of the pain. Whereas somebody else who I know who still experienced the same levels of pain, but their perception was this pain is indicative of progress. It's not necessarily indicative that I'm getting worse. And I think that's where we could really help out more in an acute sense. I guess in the world of sport, you're dealing with people up to the age of 30. So how do you get over to these young people, well, young, young as far as I'm mm, concerned, mm. young people who want to get onto the field, mm. that there could be trouble ahead if you don't do it my way, if you like? I think that's probably the biggest challenge because you have young individuals 
you know, and as we all know, when we're young, you know, I always say when I was 16, I knew everything. <laughs> and then you get to 20 and you realize, actually, I didn't know what I know now. And then as you get older, you realize I still don't know anything. So we're working with individuals that are, are quite rigid in their approach in the first place. They're very determined individuals, you know, and as we know, with a lot of teenagers, they generally think they're right sounding really old now because I was one of these people that knew I was right at that time and I think that the big challenge is getting them to identify there are going to be challenges along the line but I think going back to the mentality of sports and elite sportsmen they are quite unique individuals their level and if we're going to use the word resilience or determination is abnormal you know, they go beyond what I think most people would go through in terms of the level of criticism, the level of barriers that come up. And actually, the more I work with those elite athletes, their, their mentality and their psychology is so flexible, so adaptable. And I think that that's what makes the difference is their ability to do that. So what we're trying to do is also work with some of the younger players that might be a little bit more rigid in their approach or defensive. So we teach them how to sit with some of that discomfort sometimes to enable them to still move forward in their career. So what do you take from the world of sport into the world of pain management for normal people like me? Well, I've yet to meet a normal person. I must say. Well, I'm, well, I'm normal, <laughs> but, but nobody else is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, when we define normality, I, th I think what I've learned and certainly kind of synthesising the two of the world of sport and health is that we are actually, going back to what you said, we are all normal human beings. And actually, irrespective of the environment, the context we're in, or the arena that we do things, we all react psychologically, not the same, but as a process. And I think what I've realised is having worked within the sporting environment and seeing people that, whether we term it very resilient, I think we also see that within the pain world as well. Actually, we probably see 10% of the chronic pain population because there are 90% of people, for example, out there with pain that we don't hear about. For me, from a personal level as well, going back to my example, it's being able to provide people with ways of managing pain that's just with you all the time and as we're you know having certainly worked with these people with chronic pain it must be the most draining thing you can imagine you know having had pain myself for a period of time draining I think is a word that I, I, I quite like because it just wipes everything out and I think that that's where it's so difficult so difficult and I think if there's something that we can do to help people to change that pain, to change the experience of pain so that it impacts less on them, that can only be a good thing. That's clinical psychologist Dr Greg Clark. Now, I want to introduce you to Aid. He has severe chronic pain following a spinal injury suffered 10 years ago. He lives with constant back and leg pain, and although he can walk... It was obvious when he came into Pain Concerns office the other day that it is with extreme pain. So, unable to work, he's now a stay-at-home dad to his eight-year-old daughter. And another thing I think it's worth mentioning in passing when he called into Pain Concerns office, he was dressed in a full cycling kit. 
I'd had my fourth surgery uh, and I saw uh, the neurosurgeons who'd done the surgery and I was repeatedly asking them, what can they do now? What are the next steps? And he didn't, he wasn't quite bluntly put, but he, he more or less said, I'm really sorry, there's nothing more I can do for you. However, we have a multidisciplinary team who I can discuss your case with and, and we can see what happens. And then from there, I was referred to a pain consultant who reviewed my medication and reviewed my situation and said that because I'd tried so many different medications, there was no other options that they had for me. This was something that I was just going to have to live with probably for the rest of my life. That's when it really hit home. I remember saying to the pain consultant, well, I'm not going to give up. You know, I'm going to keep hope that, you know, even in the future, somebody will come up with a solution to take the pain away. And I think in the end, I ended up doing that as best I could for myself, <laughs> rather than relying on more medication or more treatment. I think it was shortly after that that I was referred to the 12-week pain management program at, at the Ashley Ainsley Hospital, where they taught me more about managing the pain. I think the course was a turning point in terms of me realising that I've got to find my own ways. And that was a, a very good starting point in finding my own ways to manage a pain. Let um, me just go back on that. The Astley Ainsley that you mentioned, that's, mm, a, hospital that's a hospital in Edinburgh. Yes, that's right. It's, they have a very good unit which deals with head injuries. And the staff that work in the pain management program are actually work with the in the same unit as the people that work with people that suffered head injuries. I guess it almost works hand in hand in a lot of ways, the rehabilitation of head injuries in terms of psychological hurdles to get over. I guess it's teaching people to live with their conditions. Yes, they did a really good job. I still do a really good job. <laughs> There's a lot of the techniques that we've talked about in previous episodes of the, of the podcast about you know, pacing and using meditative techniques and that kind of thing to find ways to almost distract yourself. How were you referred in the first place to the pain management programme? I'd been to see the, the pain consultant, went back to my GP a few days later to actually discuss antidepressants. He then said, we could talk about that another time, but in the meantime, I want to refer you on to the pain management course because I've heard really good things about it and I think you're prime candidate. Why did you think that antidepressants were the answer? It wasn't so much pain related. I think it was just because the way I was feeling at that time, I didn't think I could get myself into a position where I was going to be able to try and find some kind of normality because of the really low moods and being quite uncommunicative with my family and things. And uh, I found that the side effects were actually worse than the pain that I was trying to treat. So my wife said, you need to go back and ask your GP for something else because you've barely spoken to me for four days. So <laughs> I was like, OK. <laughs> it's interesting that your wife was saying, this isn't working for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the support of a partner is very, very important. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. I think I'm very lucky in that respect that not just my wife, but my, my whole family are very supportive. Being a staying-at-home dad, you know, if I'm having a flare-up or something like that and I physically can't 
look after my daughter or whatever, then I can always phone somebody and if I'm feeling low or, you know, there's always people that I can phone and, and family is fantastic for that. And my wife is, is amazing. She's, uh, she, you know, goes to work five days a week, often works late and still comes home and I haven't done the dishes or cleaned up or whatever and not cooked dinner because I'm struggling that day or whatever and she still comes home and cooks and cleans and yeah she's amazing okay so your gp very forward thinking sent you to, to a pain management program yeah now just explain to me what a pain management program is it was 12 weeks of half day sessions which was a mixture of education about what pain is the actual physical reactions that happen in your body which cause pain or your mind and the triggers can either cause pain or influence how much pain you feel and there was education on how to manage pain using various techniques such as meditation pacing mindfulness and basic sort of stretching techniques and then there was a lot of kind of discussion about how to manage your life on a day-to-day basis you know simple tasks such as you know doing the washing up or cooking a meal or doing a bit of cleaning the house or day-to-day things which everyone takes for granted but when you're living with pain you can't you know do day-to-day tasks in one go so it's things like breaking up doing the washing up into 15-minute segments and you know do a little bit, go and lie down, watch a bit of telly, listen to the radio, and then go back and, you know, do some more. Just little things like that, which almost sound too obvious, but it makes such a huge difference in how we live our lives when you're dealing with pain. But you, you have an eight-year-old daughter. I mean, sometimes kids don't follow the rules. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even know if there are any rules, to be honest. But yeah, my daughter is more perceptive I think than I realize really um possibly because she's almost grown up with it now you know it's always been there for her uh, you know dad's always you know walked with a stick or needs a mobility scooter or whatever you know so for her it's that's just who I am it's part of my identity she's good at understanding that if if I need a rest I need a rest and uh, I've regularly find myself lying on the living room floor doing a jigsaw with an ice pack on my back. and wow. you know, So uh, you find ways to manage it. One thing about chronic pain and, 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 and other sort of long-term conditions is that it's not visible. You've come in in full cycling kit, Bradley Wiggins kit. <laughs> How am I supposed to work out that you have chronic pain if you can cycle like that? That's a good question, actually. That is something that I worry about it. I worry that people make the assumption that I'm doing some kind of benefit scam or I'm just kind of whinging about having a, a sore back or a sore leg or whatever. I do kind of get nervous, especially when I meet people when I'm a cyclist. And it's like, well, you don't look ill. Just because somebody is able to do an activity or a sport that keeps them physically fit it doesn't mean that they're not ill or they don't live with pain. He can't be in pain because he rides a bike. Yeah. Let's put this into perspective. You're not just wearing cycle clips with a basket on the front of the bike. <laughs> this is the yeah. proper job, the the, yeah. the, the the road cycling job. Yeah, yeah. So how can you equate that 
with your illness. The whole using cycling to manage pain, I almost discovered it by accident. It came about as a way of getting myself out of the house and going to the GP or round the park with my daughter. It was a way that I could take control of the situation. And for a while I was almost housebound because I was waiting for a motability car. The car that we had, I couldn't drive because the seating position was too low. The nearest bus stop was too far away for me to walk to. So I dug my old bike out of the garage and I discovered almost by accident that actually after I'd been for a bike ride, the pain levels would, wouldn't go away, but were a lot less, kind of decreased for two or three hours afterwards. So once I realized this, I thought, well, if the more I cycle, the less I'm going to be in pain. So I then started riding for longer and longer periods at a time until I was going out all day and riding 100 miles. And uh, once you find something that helps you ease the pain, you kind of latch onto it. And, you know, it was doing more than the pain medication. You see, when you told me this originally, I thought, oh, right, right, it's, 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 it's a disc injury in the back. Obviously, he's sitting down and the injury's below that, so there's no pressure on it. Mm-hmm. So it's a purely physical thing. But what you're saying is that it's a mental thing as well. Yeah, it seems to be a mixture of the actual physical movement, the kind of rocking the pelvis when you're cycling. It's quite a gentle movement, and that seems to be really good for easing the back pain. So there is but a physical element to there it. There is a physical element, yeah. and it also it strengthens your core muscles, which adds more support to the lower back. The mental side is is an interesting one. I heard an expression about being in the zone where your mind is being distracted in such a way that you're not really aware of what's going on in your own body. I've heard professional sports people talk about where you're so focused on what you're doing that you're unaware of the fact that your legs are burning or you're physically exhausted or whatever. So when I'm cycling, I'm concentrating on other vehicles on the road, other road users, and I'm thinking about the route that I'm taking, where I need to turn, I need to eat, you know, every 20, 30 minutes, otherwise I'm going to run out of energy. Where's the next good coffee shop? And there's so much going on in my mind that I forget that the pain's there. And it always feels like the pain's gone. But it hasn't really. I'm just not thinking about it. It reminds me of one of the techniques that we were talking about at the pain management program. And you mentioned visualization and meditation. It's another way of distracting yourself so you're not thinking about the pain. And cycling is, you know, it takes up quite a lot of your brain. And all your senses are involved. Yeah, absolutely. But also it's almost like you're, you're swapping one pain for another. When you come to a really steep hill, it goes on right to the you know off into the distance you're like oh you know and your your breathing becomes something that occupies your brain or the you know the burning muscles and sometimes just plain exhaustion but then that's just something else that that distracts you from the pain what was a really big surprise to me was the fact that if i go out and cycle 100 miles i can then have one or two days where the pain levels almost disappear. Wow, that's interesting because my next question was going to be the after effects. Yeah, it's something that I've never been able to work out. 
and I don't know if it's to do with brain chemicals or the physiological effects. So if I had a busy few days, I can feel the pain levels going up and up, and then I go out and do a long cycle. It kind of nullifies the effects of having done too much activity or different kinds of activities for the previous few days. Because of that, I try and cycle as much as I can. Pain medication only does half the job. And I've tried increasing the amount of pain medication that I take to the point where I almost overdose myself. When you get to the point where the side effects become worse than the actual pain itself, but the pain isn't going away, well, what do I do? If I can reduce my pain medication by cycling every day, then that's, you know, that's a huge bonus. And I'm doing what I love, so <laughs> it's great, you know. Now, starting on the 30th of April 2018, of course, that may well be in the past, depending when you're listening to this, Aid took up a personal challenge to help others share in the substantial benefits he gets from cycling. And the good news is that you don't even have to have a bike or even leave the comfort of your armchair to share in those benefits. He's donating the charitable proceeds of a mammoth bicycle ride to us in pain concern to carry on supporting people like himself and me for that matter who live with chronic pain. Check out his website. It's 21, that's the numbers, two and one, not the words, 21daysofpain.org.uk. No gaps, 21daysofpain.org.uk. And this is what it's all about. The aim is to cycle 60 miles every day for 21 consecutive days. So that's about 1,300 miles in three weeks. I've realised the other day what is worse than that. Well, not worse than that. What is, what is harder than that? Come on, is tell that, it better than this. <laughs> <laughs> two days before I'm scheduled to start, I've signed up for an event where I'll be cycling 300 kilometres, which is about 180 miles in one day. And then a week after I finish the 21 days, I'll be cycling 600 miles in three days. So <laughs> it's, I'm going to be pretty tired, I think, after that. <laughs> going back a little bit to what we talked about earlier, somebody who can do that and maintain they have a chronic pain condition, that, that's just very difficult, isn't it? It is, and it's, it's something that I think a lot of people will probably have difficulty getting their head around especially when the benefits that I receive are based on the fact that I can't walk properly. But that's physically two different things. Cycling is a completely different motion. Your legs are kind of going up and down, whereas with walking, your legs are going forwards and back. And because of the, the nerve damage in my legs, every step I take is stretching damaged nerves, which is extremely painful. It's almost like the damaged nerves are being dragged through rough scar tissue, which I think the kind of mental picture in itself is, <laughs> is bad enough, but it's a difficult thing to prove, especially with pain and being invisible. But when you have to spend, you know, several hours a day lying down just to relieve the pain that builds up on a daily basis, that's what people don't see. They don't see the fact that after lie down and rotate heat packs and ice packs every 20 minutes to bring inflammation down after I've been out for dinner or whatever. Now, of course, not everyone will be able to cycle 60 miles, 6 miles or even 6 feet in one go, or even at all, to be honest. 
So, as always, I want to remind you that whilst we in Pain Concern believe the information and opinions on airing pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you and your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. And don't forget that you can download all editions of Airing Pain from Pain Concerns website and YouTube as well. I'll give the last words of this edition of Airing Pain to aid. And don't forget his website. It's 21daysofpain.org.uk. The big reason why I'm doing this challenge is it's not just a fundraising thing. This is a way of showing people that by doing something physical, you can manage your own pain. You don't need to ride 60 miles a day. Just going out and finding something that you can do which doesn't aggravate your condition can be enough to relieve your own pain. And doing something that you can do yourself without relying on doctors or medical professionals. It can be as simple as opening a window and listening to a bird song. Yeah. Anything that makes you feel good will help. And it's learning what those things are Mm -hmm. that maybe the pain management program taught you. That's a a really good point, actually. For me, because it's a physical activity, that's what helps me. But yeah, whatever you enjoy, listening to music or playing music can be enough to distract yourself. Just find something that releases that chemical in your brain, which takes the pain away, even just for half an hour. It's a great thing.